You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, attorney Dan Mayer and licensed counselor, Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now here are your hosts. Hi there and welcome back. Today, Dan and I are going to be talking with you about building your team. And we hope that this is going to be particularly helpful for the people who want to go into private practice, the people who already have their private practice, or people who have a group practice. So you'll hear us talk about different members of your team that we think will be helpful depending on where you are in your journey. And I'm Dan. So I think this is one of those topics where it's super important for practitioners to know and be thinking about because... If you're running a practice, whether it's a group practice or a solo practice, particularly if it's a solo practice and you ever have hopes of becoming a group practice, there is going to be a time where to make that transition or once you make that transition, that you're also going to be having to think about who are the people that you're surrounding yourself with who are helping you with your practice that are external to your practice. You know, I'm an example, you know, a lawyer, for example, an accountant, bookkeeper, that type of thing, whatever it is. But there are there is a certain select group of people, professionals who provide services that you're going to need if you want to grow your group practice or if you want to become a group practice to a place where you're really thriving and just kind of continuing upward in terms of your success and, and growth and, and things like that. And that's kind of where we wanted to uh, talk about today and why we wanted to talk about it. I wanted to start off today talking about a anecdote that I have. This is a real story. I was talking to a buddy of mine who I've known since he's probably about 14 years old. I've known him since freshman year of high school. And this is this is a conversation we had maybe six months ago. And I don't even think he probably would remember this, but we were talking and, and, and once I had finished the conversation, it struck me about how actually important a point was made during that conversation and it stuck with me. And what he and I were talking about was lawyers and doctors, and he's a surgeon. Obviously, I'm a lawyer. And we were talking about what do lawyers and doctors do when they need help? You know, one of the things they teach you in law school is that a lawyer who has himself for a client is uh, has a terrible lawyer. And, uh, you know, the reason for that is, is that while you may be an expert at what you do, very often if you need help, whether it's a lawyer or a doctor going to another doctor, it's best that you have someone else helping you because very often you may not know what you don't know. So in the case of the conversation that he and I were having, you know, he made the point that one of the things as a surgeon and, and a doctor is you, you absolutely must be competent and know what you're talking about and know what you're doing. And if you don't, you need to know that you don't. You know, and he, he gave the point of, you know, he does general surgery and he does a lot of other different things, but you know, he's not a cancer specialist. He's not a brain surgeon. You know, and he said to him, it's his mind using outside professionals, outside using outside resources is equivalent to someone coming to him and asking him to perform brain surgery on them or, you know, performing specific cancer surgery on them. And that's not something he's necessarily comfortable trained in, for example. Right. And so in every case, he's going to refer someone else out to a specialist who does handle those things if they come to him. And so in the same manner, when it comes to you as a mental health professional, you are a mental health professional. You may be an expert at what you do. You may be a terrific therapist, but I guarantee you, you're not an accountant. And I guarantee you're not a lawyer. 
And I guarantee you that you're probably not an HR specialist and no one expects you to be so. So in making sure that you have the right people on your team who can help provide you insight and experience and competent legal advice or just advice in general regarding things in those areas is super important if you want to have a successful practice and also one that is, of course, compliant and and following the laws and, and rules and regulations. So, you know, I'm going to actually toss it back to Melissa because I think where we want to start on that discussion is on with some of the people that you may be more aware of and more familiar with, your peer and colleagues, you know, consultants for private practice groups and things like that. I know Melissa has done a lot of work with individuals, individuals like that. I want to toss it back to her to start that conversation. Sure. So just to get us started, one of the people that I would recommend making sure that you have on your team is a peer or someone who's a colleague, but not just any peer or colleague, specifically someone who is a peer who is a clinician. And the reason that I think that this is important when we're talking about starting your private practice or starting a group practice is that someone else who's going through the same thing is really going to get it. They're going to get it in a way that someone else who's not in the midst of trying to start their own business, you know, they might not get it. But if you're working alongside someone else who is a friend that you trust, they're going to be able to talk with you about the experiences they're having, you're, you're going to identify with them a lot. So to give you an idea about when I started, I, as I had mentioned before, never had the idea of going into private practice, but some friends of mine and I, we would meet regularly once a month, in fact, for a potluck because food is really important. And so every month we would meet a whole bunch of us. We would meet, bring our food item that really was like the most important part of our meeting. And we would talk about the counseling field and ideas we had. And eventually we started getting serious about starting our own practices. So while not everybody in our group decided to move forward with opening up a private practice, three of us did move forward with that. And in fact, Three of us ended up sharing office space together. We opened our own practices together and we had space to go over any questions or concerns that we had. And we were committed to meeting on a monthly basis. The three of us, plus these others who were there to talk about clinical issues or things that were happening in the counseling field. And so it's nice to be able to have someone else that you can talk to. And also, as I had mentioned I get a lot of people who reach out to me wanting to meet for coffee to talk about private practice or even group practice work. And I'll try to accommodate, especially if it's someone who's been referred to me by a friend or a friend of a friend. In general, one of the other things that I recommend for people is that you actually work with someone who is a private practice or group practice consultant, someone else whose services that you are paying for. Free, free advice is nice. At the same time, you do want to make sure that the feedback you're getting about going into private practice or a group practice is good, solid information. And I know that sometimes we try to do things the inexpensive way, but it really is important if you're committed to starting your practice or starting a group practice that you're also willing to invest some money in it to make sure that you're getting guidance that's going to be really helpful for you. The other person that we think is going to be really helpful on your team is to have an attorney. And since Dan is, you know, the expert in that arena, he's going to be talking with us about how having an attorney can be helpful to have on your team. Experts, a heavy word. Uh, (laughs) You know, one thing I will say is it's 
I, I absolutely subscribe to the notion of you only know what you know, and I'm always looking to improve. So I always, always chuckle at the word expert. But, you know, um, one of the most important things the practitioners can have and will have at some point in the course of your practice and your career, whether or not you become a group practice or stay a solo practice, at some point, you will be consulting with an attorney. I'm going to stress that again. You will be consulting with an attorney at some point in the course of your practice. I promise you. It may be that uh, it may be an issue with a subpoena or it could be an issue there's something that's happened with a client, a therapy client. could be an issue that's come up with the board. could just be something as simple as making sure your forms or your contracts are up to par. could be a complaint. could be anything. For larger practices, I would say more than few practitioners, you know, a practice like Melissa's, uh, most likely it's going to be a good idea to have an attorney established relationship with that attorney. Most people think that when they think of attorneys, they think of the expensive legal fees. They think, oh God, I can never afford an attorney. One of the things about an attorney that's very true about a lot of the other uh, people we're going to talk about today as well, is that there is an aspect of you can't afford not to have one simply put. And depending on what you need to have done, there are many attorneys who will often work with you as needed to, to, to try to work with you on fees if possible. You know, and I can, in my case, for example, with our practice, we have developed our fees structure such that we don't even use the hourly model anymore. We do it on a flat fee basis. And the reason we do that is because we know that practitioners very often need lots of advice, lots of input. They need oftentimes if we're working with them on a contract or an employee manual or their intake paperwork or things like that. It's very subjective. Each practice is going to be very different from the next. And so the revisions process, the consulting process as we develop these things or as problems develop in the case of an audit or a complaint, there's just going to be a lot of communication that goes back and forth. There's going to be a lot of revisions, uh, rewriting and things like that. And so the hourly model doesn't make sense because a lot of our clients would end up with very high legal fees, which is what we were finding happening, which is why we switched to the flat fee. So fees shouldn't be a reason that prevents you from getting help if you need it. Okay. Um, one thing I'll just say as well is that, uh, there, because the healthcare industry in general and mental health, especially, is so highly regulated because HIPAA is such a specific beast and it is a periodically updated because state laws are changing, court rulings are happening, and even your, your ethical regs governing your, your state licensure are changing. Making sure that you have someone in your corner, like a lawyer who can advise you from time to time is super important. Uh, Melissa, do you have something to say? I do. Well, and I'm also just thinking about how important it is to have an attorney that you feel comfortable working with. So I remember a few years ago, I was attending a training to become, it was a training on supervision. And, you know, the person who was doing the training was talking about how it's really important that you have an attorney on retainer for your practice. And so I was like, oh, I need an attorney. I need to look into this. And I have no idea where I started searching, but I started searching somewhere and I was looking for attorneys who have specialization in the healthcare field. And I called a few people on the phone and, you know, one person in particular reassured me that he knows a lot because I don't know, he is with someone who is in that field. But ultimately that person, I don't know, wasn't really helpful. I didn't have a specific need yet, but in terms of helping me understand how to get started working with that attorney, 
I didn't feel like I had a lot of guidance, even though I had called the attorney on the phone. And so I just think it's important, you know, again, you may not have worked with an attorney before. You might not be sure what to expect, but it is important that you have someone that you feel comfortable working with. And I can tell you, for example, that Dan in our local community has started to develop a reputation because of his specialization in working with mental health providers, because clinicians are looking for an attorney and they specifically want someone who understands life as a private practitioner or a group practice owner or who understands the mental health field. So it can be a little bit of a challenge to reach out to someone if you've never done this before and to form a collaborative relationship. Yeah, I'm going to say something here that's that's absolutely truism. In my case, I think I am a specialist at this point. You know, I specialize in working with mental health practitioners. I understand my wife's a uh, practitioner. She has her own practice as well. I understand, I think, I like to think I understand how practitioners tend to think and approach things because I understand that there's a certain personality that's needed to be successful in the therapy world as a therapist, as someone working in the mental health industry. I'm not trying to make generalizations, but what I will say is that I find that most mental health practitioners tend to be lean towards being collaborative. There is a really robust desire to be supportive and communicative with each other. And it's really a, a lovely community. And I'm very honored and grateful to be a, be considered to be a part of it in some way. So when it comes to my clients, that's something we stress, we really, really focus on, is making sure that clients feel comfortable talking with us and understand that what you really need to, to, to Melissa's point, you really need to have an attorney that you can have a conversation with. It's not just a meeting. It's not just an appointment. It means that whether shooting them off an email or you know, a simple phone call, you need to be in a place where you feel comfortable that this person is on your team. And that's true for every single person that we're going to talk about today. And what I will tell you is that attorneys like the rest of the people we're talking, you may have to do a little bit of searching for. The, the first one you find may not be the right fit. What's most important, and not to you know degrade these people's professions or my own, but it is sort of like shoe shopping. Okay, the first shoe you find may not be the one that fits best, and when you find the right one, you will know, and it will feel comfortable, and it will feel like, hey, this fits, and that is exactly, especially when it comes to the attorney. From my own experience, that's how it's going to be, and basically as well when it comes to financial planning or bookkeeping or whatever it is, that's the same thing. You need to feel comfortable with the person you're talking to or else they can't help you. Yeah. And I think that this conversation is similar to the conversation that I have with clients, right? I talk with my clients about building a team of people who are working for them. My clients, they have, they have me as their therapist. They might have their primary care doctor and also a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'll talk with them about is that making sure that they're being open and honest with these individuals, making sure that they have people they're comfortable with knowing that this is their team and they're paying their team to work for them. Right. And, and similarly going into private practice or a group practice, you want to make sure that you're developing your own team as well that you feel comfortable with the people who are on your team and that you feel like you can be really upfront and honest with them. Yeah. And so let's talk very quickly about what an attorney would do for you. Okay. In the mental health world as a practice owner, it, they could run the gamut from, Hey, I need to, like I said, revise my forms. I need to input on employment matters. I need this or that handbook developed. I want your opinion on what 
you know, the legal responsibilities are to do X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. It can also be obviously when things go wrong. I always stress to practitioners, you should not be contacting an attorney. Well, you should be contacting an attorney when things go wrong, but you should have already had established that contact before things go wrong. Because I promise you it'll be, it'll be less expensive and it'll be less time consuming and it'll be easier for you for your own peace of mind. If you already have an established relationship with an attorney and something happens, it's much easier than to pick up the phone or email the attorney who they already know you. They already have established, maybe they've already established representation with you for them just to simply respond. The reason you want that, and this happen, does happen to me, is I will have people reach out to me and say, hey, I've got five cool questions for you. Can I ask you the questions? And I'm like, no, you may not. And the reason is, is that an attorney will tell you that we have an ethical duty and we are not allowed to provide legal advice to people who are not our clients. Now, there is an exception where if I meet one time with someone during a consultation, sure. And some attorneys will do that and they will likely charge for that. But the reason you need to have a pre-existing established relationship is that if you go to an attorney with a question and say, can you answer five quick questions for me? They're going to say, sure, here's my fee, right? Yeah. I mean, you it's, essentially, have yeah. it's yeah. essentially harm reduction and risk management. Correct. Correct, right? They are not, because they're concerned about their own liability, they're not going to talk to you unless they have that established relationship, which means that you're going to have to usually sign a, re- a representation agreement. You're going to have to set up some sort of payment agreement with them. There's a number of steps you're going to have to do before you even get help. And it's like informed really consent. Right. And if it's really bad, right, if it's really bad, if you just got a letter saying we are auditing you (laughs) or the IRS is saying, hey, we are, you know, subpoenaing you or something like that, that's going to take a little bit of time for you to find the right attorney and then for you to get that attorney set up. Whereas if you already have that existing relationship, hey, Mr. So-and-so or hey, Dan, I have this going on. Can we have a quick chat, you know, later today? Sure. Okay. So an attorney can help you from all range of things. An attorney also is very well connected into the community like I am. And so I know the people who I can connect my clients to, which includes other people who are doing other services like HR or like accounting or like a financial management. And that kind of, you know, I want to segue into what some of these other roles are. If you're running a group practice, one of the questions I sometimes get, just people ask, is what is the difference between an accountant and a financial manager, like a a financial person. And they do serve different purposes. So let's talk about the accountant first, okay? CPAs, which are certified public accountants, are certified professionals who deal with accounting, taxes, audit-related issues, things like that. They prepare your financial documents, their tax documents. They may supply you financial information on terms of uh, projections and things like that regarding your business. What are some of the benefits? Why would you might want to consider having an accountant? One is they help you be organized, right? Your job as a practitioner is to focus on your practice. You want to make sure things are being run properly, that you're crossing every T and dotting every I. Do you really want to be the person who is also stressing about your books and trying to figure out your financial accounting and making sure that your taxes are ready to go? Is that something that you want to be focusing on while you're also trying to run your practice? I'm going to guess the answer is no. And the other question I'll have for you is what happens if you screw up? Do you even know what's going to happen if you screw up? I know what's going to happen. And your tax person knows what's going to happen. The IRS and or your state is going to be knocking on your door or at least sending you a letter telling you that you may have screwed up and they're going to be asking you for money uh, that you may not have. So it's better to establish a relationship now in advance and have them be able to work with you. On a related point, there's also a peace of mind issue. 
if you know that you have someone working with you to handle your books and make sure that at the end of the year, you're going to have a nice little tax document you can file with your taxes, how much more peace of mind are you going to have? I'm going to guess it's a lot, okay? And I'm going to tell you right now, you, the practitioner listening right now, I have worked with practitioners and there is a lot of things to stress you out when you're running your own practice. That's the nature of the business. My job as an attorney, the other job, the job of everyone else you might work with who's not a practitioner, who services your practice, our job is to make your life easier. Okay. But there's a lot of things you have to focus on if you're running a practice. So why would you keep this thing on your shoulders, something for you to worry about? One of the shifts. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, one of the shifts that, um, that might happen for people who are new to private practice is that you might be accustomed to paying your taxes on an annual basis. You know that at the end of the year, you do this annoying thing where you have to pay your taxes. But as a private practice or group practice owner, you may be moving over to a quarterly schedule where you're paying your taxes on a quarterly basis. And that's definitely an area where you might need some help, someone to tell you what you're doing, how to do it. I remember... One of the first years that I used an accountant because I was just doing it on my own, doing the little TurboTax thing. And I walked into my appointment with my accountant. I was so proud of myself. I did everything that I was told to do. I had my little book and I showed that I paid everything on time. And, you know, I was really pleased with myself and I thought she's going to like pat me on the head. Good job, Melissa. Only... After sitting through everything, she looked at me and she said, well, did you happen to save up any extra money for your taxes? And I said, no, I paid my taxes on a quarterly basis. Like you told me, I did everything that you told me. Only there was a giant surprise waiting for me in that I was going to owe way more money. had no idea. And again, this goes back to these are the lessons that you learn along the way. And also, it goes back to making sure that you're working with someone that you feel really comfortable with. Now, I uh, one of my favorite movies is Jerry Maguire. I love it. I don't care how cheesy that is. But one of the lines in that movie that I love, and I, I cite probably to some of my clients' irritation, is where he's you know talking to Rod Tidwell, and he's like, help me help you, right? And that is one of the purposes of an accountant, too. Their job is to help you help yourself, okay? And so they can help you figure out the benefits of tax structures, okay? Because if you're an LLC for your practice, that's fine, right? At a state level, it's recognized by the state. An LLC is not recognized by the IRS. There may be benefits, though, to having a tax status as a C-Corp or an S-Corp. And your accountant can help you figure out when or if that should happen. Very typically, what I see is that clients will have an accountant who will say to them, okay, when we reach a certain level of profit, it'll be time for us to switch over. And that usually is what happens. Now, it varies from practice to practice, but they can help you figure out when is the point when you need to change your tax structure, okay? Because to Melissa's point, if you're doing LLC only and you're doing pass-through in your taxes, you're also paying all the taxes on your on your practice. But if you have payroll and other expenses, right, there are ways to structure that tax-wise that are going to save you a lot of money. And that's why people do it. And this is also so, why... Yeah. 
I think it's important to have people that you are paying to make sure that you are getting advice and information that is specific to your particular situation, right? I've seen people posting in online forums, hey, what structure are you using for your business? Are you an LLC, an S corporation? But that's not something that someone can answer for you in an online forum. You're going to need to work with someone, whether it's an attorney, an an attorney is going to give you their personal perspective based on their line of work about which one makes the most sense for you. And then when you talk with your accountant about those structures, they're going to offer a a different type of feedback based on what they do. And so again, you want to be working with people who know the specifics of your particular situation so that you're making the decisions that are best for you and your practice. Yeah. And that's a really, really, really good point. I have a lot of clients who have an accountant. They also have me as their attorney, right? One is not mutually exclusive. In fact, what I often and very often tell my clients, especially around tax time, or if we're looking at your tax, your entity, you know, how you're formed. um, And we're talking about, should you make the switch to, for example, to a corp from an LLC? I always say, consult with your accountant. They know your books, right? I'm your attorney. I don't know your books necessarily. Your 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 tax person or your uh, accountant does, and so I'll often tell them, "Look, talk to your accountant. They know your books. They may likely have a figure in mind when they may feel that you are ready to move over to S corp, you know, or anything like that." We the attorneys will work with your accountant, and that is true for all these people we're talking about, right? Is that whether it's a practice consultant, or whether it's a financial planner, or whether it's uh, um, an accountant or a lawyer, we actually all work together, right? And so I often tell my clients, I will never dispute the information your accountant gives you because they know your book. So if they say, well, this is when we are going to be ready to do this, or this is what I recommend, my answer usually is, unless I think it's legally wrong, which is has very, very infrequently happened, I'll say, great, here's how we're going to do this legally. Right. And then if I need to step in and organize and help you change the status or file for, you know, entity of some sort, we can do that. But your your accountant is very much locked in that. The other thing to know is that the benefit is that your tax, the money that you pay your accountant is tax deductible. It is a business expense. And by the way, so are lawyers fees. <laughs> um, now, drawbacks. Drawbacks really are that, again, it's a personality thing. Okay. You want to make sure you find the right person. Now I'm going to make a caveat here and I'm hoping I don't offend anyone who's an accountant who may be listening. The fact is, is that the mental health world is very collaborative as a general rule and a general, and this is a big generalization, a gross generalization, but I'm going to be brutally honest here. Accountants are number crunchers, right? They require an ability and a talent to working with numbers to be an accountant. Um, You do not necessarily need to be a people person to do that. A lot of accountants I find are not your outgoing, extroverted, you know, networking person. They're the number crunchers. They're the ones who can do calculations ad nauseum and figure things out. So your mindset as a practitioner and how you approach things may be very different than the way they do. And I've had this conversation with practitioners where they've come to me and said, I'm really unhappy. I feel like they don't, they're not listening to me. You know, once I kind of boil it down, I realize what's actually happening is it's just a failure to communicate, right? Because they are, a practitioner may feel like, gosh, this person is so aloof or this person is just kind of like very matter of fact. And again, no offense to accountants, but there is a mentality here. And you, and you have to understand that 
it's not necessarily that that's not necessarily the case. So sometimes finding the right person is going to take a while. So someone you mesh with, it's not going to happen right away. That's that's one of the other downsides. Well, now, one of the questions I've gotten in the past is, you know, oh, I know you're my attorney and we talk about stuff. Does my accountant need to sign like a business associates agreement or something like that in case of PHI? And I'm always like, why? Why is your accountant having anything to do with your protected health information or your client's records? In general, when it comes to hiring an accountant, they're not going to need access to your files or other information that would be covered by HIPAA. They are your book person. They are handling your money and that's it. Okay. Now, let's move kind of to talking a bit about financial planners and how they're different, okay? So yes, some accountants do work as financial planners, but what financial planners do is they are they work with individuals to effectively manage and grow your finances. They're really the position there to help you figure out what you're going to be doing in retirement. How what are your financial goals? How do we help you achieve those goals? For a larger practice, this can be really beneficial because obviously if you're doing well, if you're, you know, if you're if you're really growing and you're making a million dollars a year as a practice, you really want to be making sure that you're setting some of that money aside for yourself or even for your employees, whether it's a 401k or things like that, in retirement. A financial planner can help you do that. They help clients figure out, you know, how investments, they figure out mortgage and estate planning, things like that. What I always tell clients when this question comes up is they make your money work for you, right? Essentially, if you're looking to have someone do your taxes, the accountant's probably going to be where you want to go. If you're looking for someone who's going to take the money that you're earning and figure out what you want to do with in the future, the financial planner is where you want to go, right? Why is this important? Well, if you want to retire at some point and not have to work... (laughs) They can help you make your money work for you in the future for when you're not working, okay? That's the the kind of the, 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 the focus here. You know, another way of putting it, I, I, I told this to clients before, is accountants figure out what you're doing with your money now. Financial planners help you figure out what you're going to be doing with your with your money later on, okay? Now, again, there is a personality difference. There is some degree of shopping around you may have to do until you find the right person. And it is really important if you're going to hire one, that you find the right person. Because again, this is someone who is going to be helping you plan what to do with your money in the future. This is not an area you want to be screwing up with. Okay. And it is a matter of finding the right personality mix. And I'm going to make another generalization. I hope I'm again, I'm not trying to offend anyone. And there's always exceptions. But generally speaking, if I, and a financial planner, one of the things that's different is that they tend to be more outgoing, more network, you know, ability to network. They tend to be much more conversational. They tend to be more of your vision, visionaries. They're trying to figure out, okay, how, what do we, how do we envision using your money in the future? And they help you figure that out. Accountant really focus again, is what's your books right now, making sure your books are in order. It is possible that you already have a financial planner, even Mm -hmm. if you don't have a practice, because there are a lot of people who do just because they are thinking about the future. They want to make wise decisions about their finances. That situation that I mentioned earlier in working with my accountant and sending in my quarterly taxes, that was the event that prompted my decision to seek out a financial planner. And I did have to meet with a few people before finding someone in particular. But it is also really nice, as Stan was saying, to have people who can talk to one another. My financial planner 
works very, very closely with my new accountant and they have conversations that way they're on the same page when we're talking about decision-making. Now, sometimes do I understand what my financial planner is saying? No, like he really knows this stuff, but at some point I'm a little glassy eyed and just trying to follow along, but I know that he knows what he's doing and I know that I can call him if I have any questions. And we also have times where we're meeting on a regular basis. We're at least meeting on a quarterly basis to make sure uh, that we're going over the things that we need to be talking about. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. That's probably one of the most important points, in fact. Again, if you're looking at hiring any of these people, right, is that you have to know that there's going to be times where, whether it's through you or they themselves just talk, there's overlap here, right? Financial planning, accounting, law, there's crossover because, of course, law touches everything. Everything's governed by laws. So there is a there is kind of a, a cross-pollination uh, here. And so what your tax person, your accountant is doing with your money, you know, and how they're kind of strategizing is going to affect how your financial planner is doing things. And they, in turn, are going to be in communication with the attorney. It's a very, it should be a natural process. If you're ever at a point where you're like, God, I, I really don't feel like this person communicates with me, whether it's an attorney, accountant, or financial planner, if you feel like you don't have trust in them, if you feel like they're not doing what you want, then change it, right? This is one of the things where I advise business practice owners that this is a business. It's not personal, right? It's not personal, but your job as an owner of a practice, in addition to being a practicing therapist or practicing mental health practitioner, is that you are the CEO, you are the head of a company, and you have an obligation to that company, okay? And you also have an obligation to yourself. So if something's not getting done that's benefiting the company, if something's not getting done that's not benefiting you, if you're not happy with it, why are you paying money to someone that you're not happy with? Find someone better. There's always going to be, you can always find someone who's going to be doing it better to your liking, right? And your liking may be different than Melissa's. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's just really important to know is that having these people on your team takes so much off your plate. And it's a relief to know that you have people you can go to rather than trying to do research. So you understand the law or your finances or your taxes, rather than having the pressure of needing to do all of that on your own. When you have these people in place, you know that you have someone you can turn to with your questions. And so I think that that's really important to know as well. Again, just because time and again in the counseling world, there are some people who are really, you know, they're fine with having to pay the expenses of working with an, a consultant, an attorney or an accountant. And there are other people who they don't want to have to spend the money to do those things. But also understanding that when you spend the money, one, some of them are tax deductions. But also, it's just going to be such a relief to know that you have someone you can go to and know that you're going to get accurate information. Yeah. And so along that same lines, then there's the other person that you want to also consider, especially if you're running a group practice, is sort of HR consultant. Right now, I know a couple of practices that are really big that have an HR person in house. Most people are not going to do that. Most people, it's not financially feasible. But Consulting with someone on the HR is important. If you have a practice, I would say more than more than three, let's say, more than three employees of some sort, you really should be having someone from an HR perspective consulting with them. They very often will work with your attorney, um, and and that's very natural. 
attorney can advise on employment matters, employment law, and things like that. But your HR person is really going to make sure that your policies, that your approach to how you're handling things, you're doing everything the right way. Okay. But there's a lot of cross crossover again between attorneys and HR consultants, but it's super important, particularly in like a state like Maryland where it's at will, right? So there's a much big difference between a contract uh, therapist and an employee therapist who's at will. Okay. And you want to make sure that you're setting up things um, the correct way. One of the reasons is if you're in a practice that you have 20 people in Maryland, for example, you're all of a sudden you know, responsible for sick leave, pay, and potentially even health insurance. So those are things that if you're not doing, you can get in a lot of trouble, right? Again, that's where an attorney can come into play, but an HR person can really help you figure out, well, what are the policies we need? An attorney can come in and figure out and make sure that, okay, now we are with those policies, we are following the, the legal obligations here. And I think even if you don't have any employees right now, but you're looking to, you want to be a group practice and you know that you want to follow an employee model. Again, as Dan was saying earlier, it's helpful when you're doing things from the perspective of risk management, preparation, rather than, oh my gosh, I think I just messed that up. Let me try to correct it. And so working with an HR specialist is something that can be really, really helpful, even if you haven't brought anyone on board, just so that way you know that you have the correct forms in place in terms of creating your benefits plan, time off, just so many questions that you can be going over with that person, even if you don't have a single person work beside yourself working at your office yet. Correct. Yeah. So above all else, the thing to remember is that this is about peace of mind. That you're giving yourself peace of mind because you're allowing yourself to focus more now on what it is that you are trained in, which is the mental health practice, and taking some of that obligations, those very heavy obligations off your shoulders and putting it on someone else's shoulders, which they're happy to do. And they will handle it for you and they will tell you what they're doing. And at the end of the day, that's how the biggest and best practices are run. They all have these people in place. Right? That's right. And there's no price tag that you can put on peace of mind. So, and as always, when you're protecting your practice, you are protecting your peace of mind. Correct. So I think at that point, we're going to wrap up now. If you have other questions or if you have feedback or commentary, as we always say, we are always happy to hear from you. We do want to hear from you. You can reach us on the web at our website, www.protectingyourpractice.com. We are on Facebook. We do want to hear from you. Please reach out to us. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.